Well, good morning. Welcome to Risen Life. Good to see you. Happy Mother's Day. Moms, we are grateful. You've done a lot of work to get us to where we're at, and uh, thank you for all of that. And I know some of you moms that are kind of in the throes in the middle of it, all these little children, I know you need a nap today. So give mom a nap, and we're just thankful for, <laughs> we're just thankful for all the work you have done and are doing. So blessings to you to stay. We're, we're in a series here um, on the divided kingdom. We're following the historical line of the nation Israel, and Israel came to a point in its history where they decided they couldn't get along and broke into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. And uh, they fought much of the time between the two nations. And um, today we come to about 760 B.C., moving up to about 700 B.C., and we're looking at three prophets that spoke to the nation. And so in the middle of their sin and rebellion and fighting amongst themselves, God sent prophets to speak to them, to send a message to them. And the essence of the message was, turn from your sin. You're going to end up in a really bad, painful, awful place if you keep in your rebellion. That's a good message to teach to all of us and our children. Sin leads to pain and suffering and struggle and heartache and all kinds of messy stuff. And, And the prophet said, turn. Turn and I will receive you. Turn back and live, it says in Amos today that we'll be looking at. And that's the message of the prophets. And God is always saying that to us today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but turn to him and receive forgiveness and grace and and blessing and peace. And that's the message of the prophets. So we're looking at Amos, Hosea, and Micah today. And we'll just take them in chronological order. Take the big theme out of each one. And Amos was the first one in the historical timeline. And then Hosea... And then Micah was really at some times, part of his ministry was right alongside with Hosea and went a little bit further. Um, actually, the last two prophets that we're talking about today, Hosea and Micah, actually continued to prophesy into the exile. These nation, the nation of Israel did not turn and ended up in exile in Assyria, uh, which we will do in a whole other series. Um, but uh, they refused to turn and ended up in this really bad place. Now, uh, we'll start with Amos. And Amos wrote as a herdsman, he was a layman, so to speak, lived six miles south of Bethlehem in the southern kingdom, and God called him to go up to the northern kingdom to tell those people to repent. Can you imagine that? And so they, he went up north, and he said, you need to turn, you need to stop your sinning, and you need to get right with God. And it was a prosperous time in Israel, one of the, really the last prosperous time in Israel before they were sent into exile where the Assyrian enemy to the northeast was in kind of a down period. And so they didn't have to worry a lot about defending themselves at this little time juncture. And so they dumped their money into the economy and becoming prosperous, and they did. And it was a a healthy time economically uh, for Israel. Um, But the people of Israel saw this wealth, meaning that, that God was blessing them and that all was well. But in reality, what they had done is they had taken their wealth and used it simply to indulge themselves and to live fancier and fancier lifestyles. Amos speaks of fancy summer homes and beds of ivory and luxurious feasts and drinking bowlfuls of wine and partying and having a a great time. And and God is coming to them and saying, look at this is not really uh, the way it is. Things are not very good here in Israel. In fact, sort of a classic line in Amos chapter 4 where God is speaking through Amos to the women. He says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. This is not going to go well when you're called a cow as a woman. 
who are on the mountain of Samaria, you women oppress the poor, you crush the needy, and you say to your husbands, bring me another drink. (laughs) That's the picture of what's going on in Israel at this time. Now, Amos comes with a word for Israel, and uh, he starts in chapters 1 and chapter 2 of Amos and begins to speak of the surrounding nations. And he has a hard word for them because of their immorality and their rebellion against godly behavior. And he gives a word to Damascus in 1.3, and then in 1.6 a word to Gaza, in 1.9 a word to Tyre, in 1.11 to Edom, and he speaks to the Ammonites in verse 13, and then the Moabites in chapter 2, and he tells them they all need to turn and repent, and that he is angry at them for their bad behavior. Now, the Israelites actually were quite happy about that. They thought, well, finally, we're going to straighten out our neighbors and get them in a place where they are not bothering us. God will deal with them, maybe even take them away from us, and life will be good again. And so they were quite happy about that. But then there is this sudden turn in Amos that comes in chapter 2, verse 4. They're just about ready feeling good about God criticizing all their neighbors, and then he says, I have a word for you, Judah. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. But their lies had led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. And so... God speaks to the people of Israel through Amos and he says, you of all people, you have been given the laws of God. You are my cherished possession. Chapter 3, verse 2 says that. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. You are my special children. I graciously gave you the laws on how to live so that you would know how to walk in my grace and in my love and walk in a way that will bring you blessing. I gave those to you. Of all peoples, you shouldn't be turning your back on me, but you are. You've abused the privilege and indulged yourselves in the blessings that I've given you. And he says in chapter 6, verses 4 to 6, he says, Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches. You can picture this sort of luxurious lifestyle. And eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instruments of music who drink bowlfuls of wine and anoint themselves with the finest oils. But you are not grieved over your sin and the ruin of Joseph. And so this nation was wealthy, thinking it was the blessing of God, but in reality, they simply used that wealth to indulge themselves, to neglect the poor, and to live in a life of just negligence, of loving and caring for people around them. And God comes and he says to them in chapter 5, verse 21 and 23, he says, I hate, I despise your feasts, I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. See, they gathered as God's people. They gathered to worship, but they didn't worship. 
Their songs were empty because they lived a lifestyle of rebellion against God. And they lived in a way that was indulgent and not thoughtful and loving of others. And they neglected the poor and left them in that desperate place. And God says, I don't even want to hear your worship. I don't even care about your songs because you are not living in a way that honors me. And that's a good warning for us. Let's not just gather on Sunday morning and then live like we want throughout the week. God says, I don't care about your gathering on Sunday morning if you don't live for me during the week. Let's be authentic. Let's be real. Let's live for me during the week. Then your worship is authentic on Sunday morning. And so he says to them now in chapter 5, repent and live, turn and live, seek me, seek the Lord and live. Now the application I think for us in America is obvious uh, from this text. We ought not to, as the Israelites did, think that somehow our wealth is a sign of God's blessing on us. Now, we should be thankful for the blessings we have of our wealth. We should be thankful for the good things that we can uh, enjoy in America. But we ought not to see it necessarily as God saying and giving his stamp of approval on who we are as a nation. It's possible to be extraordinarily wealthy as a nation and thousands of miles away from God. And it's possible to be entirely impoverished as a nation and be close to him. The prosperity gospel is nonsense. Now look it, it is true that when we walk according to God's principles, there is a blessing that goes with that. However, just because we have that wealth does not mean necessarily that we are honoring God. And we need to be careful to not make that mistake here in America. In fact, in America, all is going well seemingly financially these days. The markets are up. And in America, that means everything's pretty much okay. It's an election year. And we know what it's going to be at the end of the day. When we get down to November, it's going to be the economy that matters to the American people. They will vote the economy. That is what matters most to us. If that's going well, all is well. And we do well to take heed to the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 12 when he tells this parable of this rich farmer who had a bountiful year and grain came in by thousands of bushelfuls, filled up his barn, said, my barn's full and I still have more. Now what am I going to do? And like the average American would, he said, well, I'll build a bigger barn, right? That's what we do. We got all this money. Now, what are we going to do? We'll get a bigger house, bigger car, fancier vacation, fancier lifestyle, fancier couches, right? That, that's exactly what we do. And Jesus says to this person, you fool, because you have indulged yourself in my great wealth, have built bigger barns. And you are wealthy, but you are poor toward God. Today, your life will be asked of you, and you will give an account. And you have not been wealthy toward me. You have not lived for me. <clears throat> now look, <clears throat> we should be responsible with our money. I, I, I'm being told these days by... Uh, friends who are in the banking industry. My wife works in the banking industry, so I have uh, quite a few friends in the banking industry. They say, Kevin, you know, you really ought to think about retirement. You know, you're getting old, and it's time for you to start thinking about this, right? Now, look, I have no desire to retire. I hope God just lets me keep working. In fact, with my mental state at times, if I stop working, it's going to be dangerous. Keep me working. But I also know that there is a day where I'm going to be sitting in a wheelchair, drooling on myself, and you aren't going to want to pay me for what I'm doing. 
right? You know that's true. I know that's true. And at that point, there ought to be some thought going into what am I going to do then, now, right? But I also know that whatever a person does to plan for those days, they ought not to put their hope in those resources because those resources can be gone like that. And one simple little lawsuit against the Lund family and everything is gone, what little there is. Furthermore, for all of us sitting in this room, all it takes is a fairly significant downturn in the American economy that goes for a while, and a lot of us will be in a really tough shape. And we know this can happen. We hope it doesn't, but it can. And we ought not to therefore put our hope in wealth. It needs to be in God. So, so how do we live in such a way that it doesn't get its grip on us? Because when you start paying attention to your finances, you kind of get big eyes and you start going, okay, how do I do this? How do I get more money? How do I get secure, more secure? When we put our hope there, it just grabs our heart. This is what money does. This is what it does with Americans. How do we break that? And God gives us a pretty simple principle to break that. And that is bring and give the very first and the best to Him. Be generous. Give it away. So what I do is I give away a whole lot more than I put into my retirement plan. And therefore, because that's so stupid, I don't worry about money. <laughs> See, giving is for me. Now, people are blessed when I give, but it's for me to set my heart free from the entanglement of the bondage of wealth. And that's the principle of God, to set us free. Give generously and you won't worry about wealth. Now be responsible with what's left and there ought to be plenty left. You live in America after all. But do give generously. And in fact, this is the problem of this people here is that they just simply used their wealth to indulge themselves and they neglected the poor. <clears throat> we in American America... And we at Risen Life Church must not be accused of neglecting the poor. Um, I find this difficult because when I see this command in Scripture and I see this principle and I see the problem here in this book, I go, well, who do I give to? You, you see people that are in hard places standing on corners with signs asking for money. But how do you know that's truthful? Where do you know where that money's going? It's a hard thing, isn't it? What do we do to give to the poor? And this is why, in part, at Risen Life Church, we are sending a group of people to Guatemala this month now because there in Guatemala is just about the closest place that you can get to about as impoverished group of people as you can find on this planet. We've got eight or ten of us going from this church to go and to be a blessing to these people. These people can't even afford to put four walls around themselves and a roof that doesn't leak. They live on a dirt floor, and they have stoves that are unsafe. And so we build stoves. We can build them a new home for just a few hundred dollars. And we can get to them and touch them and bring the gospel, the hope of Jesus, with us as we do those good things for the poorest of the poor. This is why we do this. And it's the safest way I know to give some dollars to get to the poor. And I mention that because we're leaving in a couple weeks. If you're looking for a way to not be this kind of people in Amos, this is a good way to give some money to the poor. 
Let's not be people who just show up on Sunday morning, pretend like we're spiritual and we don't take care of the poor. So we're going to have offering plates in the back of the worship center today. And uh, if you're so inclined, join me in giving generously to those people that are going down there. We're about $8,000 short of what we need. And so I think we can get that today, either through today's offering or you can get on, on online this week and, and give some money that way. But let's cover these people because when else are we going to have the opportunity to touch the poor like this and not be the same way as these people in this text? This is a great opportunity. So let's be a blessing. Let's give generously and take care of our team that's going down there, taking time away from their families to do it. <clears throat> okay, so there's the message of Amos. <clears throat> now, the message of Hosea... <clears throat> is the next one. And this is about 15, 20 years later. Comes on the heels of Amos. And they're just now a couple decades short of exile. Um, It really is their final hour. Things have gotten worse. The economy has sunk. It's a hard time now. And it is inevitable. The nation of Israel will not be able to turn back. It's a zero hour, really, for them. And you can see it in the political setting where there is one king after another. Sometimes the, the kings just last for a few months. There are murders, there's intrigue, there's rebellion, there's bribery going on. It's a mess. And if it's a mess politically, it's even worse spiritually. People are far from God. Baal worship is the common rule of the culture where there is licentious living and worship, sexual worship going on child sacrifices, it is a sick day in Israel. And so Hosea now comes with a really hard message. This is a hard message. It's not something that I don't think Robert and I would ever choose to say or speak except that it's in the Bible. And we're going to teach the Bible. Whatever the Bible says, we're going to say it. Even if it's a hard thing, we're going to say it. And this is a hard thing. This is hard to hear. The language is hard. It's language that if you use in the culture, you might even deem it inappropriate. But God is making a message, and he wants us to hear it. And so Hosea comes in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, and here's, here's the words. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go and take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom, by forsaking the Lord. So he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. Okay, so here's what Hosea is being told to do by God. God says, Hosea, go and marry a woman who's going to be unfaithful to you. Radically unfaithful to you. And you be faithful to her even though she isn't faithful to you. You stay with her as her husband, even though she is going to mess around with all kinds of men, consistently have children by other men, I want you to go marry her and be faithful to her through her life. And here's the picture I'm painting by your life. This is how I, God, treat my people Israel. Because my people Israel are whoring around on me by worshiping idols. By rebelling against my principles, by giving themselves to licentious living, they are whoring around on me and I still love them and I'm still faithful to them. 
And I want you to be a picture of how my faithfulness is toward my people. That's the picture. Okay? Strong language, right? And we see here the message that when we sin, we are being unfaithful to God. And it is like adultery. When we sin against God, we not only break the law, but we break his heart. That he hurts and he's wounded by our unfaithfulness to him. Hosea says in chapter 4, verse 1, the actual problem. And he says, hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a, contro- a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. Now, the word knowledge, that word know, is, is a deep theological word that speaks of intimacy. It speaks of sexual intimacy in some parts of the Bible between a husband and wife. And it speaks of a very close, intimate relationship, non-sexual one, with God. Where we know Him personally and intimately, like a husband and a wife know each other as people. And there was none of that. They didn't know God. They, they played religion. They did the game. They went to church. They, they talked the talk, but they did not know God. They weren't close to God. And this is what our hearts were made for. Our hearts were made for God, to know Him, to love Him to be in an intimate relationship with him. And that is what sets us free from sin. This was their problem. I, I work in circles with addictions and helping people get out of addictions. And I say this all the time. The singular biggest key to getting out of an addiction is to have a good relationship with God and a good relationship with each other. That's what our hearts were made for. That's what, what satisfies us. To know God well and to know each other well intimately in appropriate ways sets us free from the sins that entangle us. That's what our heart longs for. It's what gets us free from that addictive tendency. And the problem with giving ourselves to sinful patterns instead of to God is verse 10. They shall eat. Chapter 4, verse 10. They shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore but not multiply because they have forsaken the Lord. See, when, when we give ourselves to things other than God to be what our soul most feasts on, it doesn't satisfy. More and more and more and more, and it's never enough. That's why we have all kinds of addicts running around. America is just adulterous itself, and they just keep going for more and more, and it doesn't do it. It doesn't satisfy. Our hearts want more. John Rockefeller founder of Standard Oil Company was asked, asked this very famous question. How much money, John, is enough? Just a little bit more, he said. That's the problem. Just a little bit more. I remember, let me read chapter 5, verse 4 first. Chapter 5, verse 4, verse 4 says this. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. For the spirit of whoredom is within them. They do not know the Lord. See, when sin gets its grip on you, it's got claws that get into you, and it becomes very hard, if not impossible, to turn back, except for the grace of God. And I remember sitting in a counseling appointment 15 to 20 years ago now, 
precious couple who are still good friends of mine. And they came into my office, and it was a dark day for them. They were in tears. And they sat there across from me, and the wife in this instance said, I've had an affair. And she said, I hate my sin. I hate what I've done to my husband. But I can't stop doing it. My heart has been taken by this man. Now, that's not true. She can get free. But that's the point. This is what sin does to us. It gets in there. It gets its claws in there. And it is really hard to stop. Sin is an affair of the heart. In Romans chapter 1, verses 23 and 24, it's speaking of of an exchange where we exchange the glory of God for the glory of humanity and creation. Where we're supposed to look to God for beauty and for things that will satisfy our heart. And what we do is we exchange that for putting ourselves first, creation first. So we go to the mountains and we ski and we hike and we rock climb and I do plenty of those things. I enjoy those things. But we do those things and then we say, I don't have time for church. I don't have time for God. That is whoring around with the mountains. I, uh, I'll confess, I um, went to a heavy metal concert a month ago. <laughs> my first one, probably my last one. <laughs> I went because it was a, a Swedish group, and I want to see what my relatives are doing, you know, I'm Swedish, and uh, see what they were bringing, right? And, uh, and I was told they were good, and actually... It, it was, it's not what you kind of classically think about heavy metal music. It was actually very operatic voices that were, it wasn't dark, but, but pretty lo- quite loud. I had my earplugs in. Quite loud guitar playing behind this very operatic kind of voices. It was actually kind of, I, I actually, I, I kind of enjoyed it. Forgive me. And, um, and it was at the venue downtown. I don't know if you've ever been there, but they pack you in there like sardines, right? You become very friendly with the people next to you. Right? You're just touching all parts of your bodies with theirs, and you're kind of go, ooh. But I was there with my son, so that was good. I had him next to me. But, I, but we were there, and, and this person next to me, he, he, was, he was obviously like, this was the day of his life, right? He said, I've come from Boise, and I've been waiting for this for my whole life. I can't believe that Nightwish, now you can go Google that, and Nightwish <laughs> is right, going to be right on that stage here in 10 minutes. I can't believe it. I get to see him right there. Sounded like the second coming of Jesus to me, you know. I mean, it's like, I, my gosh, right? We're, we're, you, get, you get what's going on here. And, and then they come and they start to sing. And, and, you know, whatever they call headbanging, I think that's what it was going on. They go, whoa, 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 headbanging. And the woman that was singing was going, whoa, with her hair. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, <laughs> I'm like going, oh my gosh. And, <laughs> and the, 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 
The girl next to me, who kind of snuck in there trying to see her way through to see the stage we were on, we were on a kind of the above, if you ever been to the venue, we were on the part above the stage looking down. She looked up at me and she goes, you look bored. <laughs> I said, no, I'm not bored. I'm just enjoying, you know, I'm interested here, actually. She goes, well, you better not be bored. This is one of the greatest heavy metal bands in the whole world. <laughs> you should be worshiping too, you know, right? How come you're not in, you know, and, and I, and it was like, it was like these people were like just worshiping. You know, and at the end of the night, right, for these people who this is the experience of their life and will never see this Swedish band again because they won't be coming back here again, um, they go home and they leave. They go back, they pack up their bags and go back to Sweden. And their God has left. And then they leave like, my gosh, well, you know, what next in my life to fill that place, right? Now look, nothing wrong with enjoying music. I enjoyed it. But when that is like the thing you've been waiting for, it's the pinnacle of your life, you are a worshiper of it and it won't satisfy and it packs its bags and it goes. But I'm telling you what, when I walked out of that place, Jesus walked with me. He never leaves. I worship him because only in him is my heart satisfied. See, sin is a reflection of something much larger than the breaking of a law. It is an adulterous heart. And it is a worshiping heart of something else and this is a picture of marriage, right? Um, this, this is a picture of marriage and unfaithful marriage. And you know, if, if a husband and wife have sort of a harsh word with each other and they sin against each other with a harsh word, that can be pretty quickly forgiven generally and overlooked and moved on, right? But if you walk in on your spouse and they are in bed with another, that's a whole different deal, is it not? That's a whole different thing. And that's what's being pictured here. And you would say, of that person that walked in on your spouse, you'd say, now somebody needs to pay for that. There is a price to be paid for that kind of sin. And that's our God. It, it helps us understand when we hear the wrath of God 400 times in the Old Testament, the wrath of God, this is what God is feeling towards sin. It is that level of wrath. Somebody needs to pay. And it's why the tax collector in Luke chapter 18, when he got a picture of his sin, he said, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the word for mercy there is the Greek word halastrion, which is speaking of the mercy seat where an animal is sacrificed in order to pay for their sin. That guy is saying, have mercy on me. Somebody needs to pay. Would somebody please pay for my sin so I can have mercy? That's what he's saying. He understood the seriousness of what he was doing. And we need to see the seriousness of what our sin does to God's heart. It breaks it. It's walking in on us in an affair. And yet God loves us. This is the picture. And the corner begins to turn now. And Hosea comes back in chapter 11, the last, close to the end, not quite the last chapter. In chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. And he comes and he says to the Israelites, he says, How? Can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? 
How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zebuim? My heart, it recoils within me and my compassion grows warm and tender. I love you. It kills me that you're adulterous and I love you. Come back to me. How can I give you up? I can't do it. You're mine. That's the picture of our God, even in our worst sin. And that's the message of Micah, actually, now as we move to Micah. Where in the book of Micah, the score has been settled. They will go into exile. God says, I will come and I will destroy your idols. Verse 7 of chapter 1. I'll beat them to pieces, it says. I'll burn them with fire. I'll lay them waste. And you're going into exile. There's a price to be paid for your sin. It will be paid. And then Micah comes in chapter 5 in these very, very famous words. Chapter 5, verse 2 of Micah, he says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrata, who were too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old. Verse 4, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. I'm going to send a ruler who will make things right, who will be born in Bethlehem, who's going to come and and bring my people back to me. And then he says in chapter 7, verses 7 to 9, But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. And when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against Him until He pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light and I shall look upon His vindication for me. You hear that? Even though you are being punished, O Israel, I will redeem you. I will stay with you. And I ultimately will declare you not guilty through this king that's coming through Bethlehem. And that's what God did. 700 years later, he sent Jesus. And he came and he died. And it was the darkest day at that moment in human history where the grievous, most grievous sin ever committed by humanity against anybody was committed against God's Son, Jesus Christ. It was a dark day and the disciples hid and the people cowered. And then Jesus died and was buried and hope was lost. And then, three days later, he rose triumphing over sin and death and all that is wicked and all that is evil and all that is wrong, showing to us that even in our darkest moments, in the darkest moment of life, there is hope because God intends to rescue his people even when they have sinned and end up in exile. All of us from time to time end up in those prison cells. We end up in exile. We end up in these bad places because we've done stupid stuff. And God says, I have never left you. I will never leave you. And I'm going to even take that hard place and bless you in it by teaching you and growing you through it and purifying you and make you better for having gone through it. That's called redemption. That's what God does. That's the amazing story of the gospel. 
Even in exile, when, when life is the worst, He is alongside of us, loving us. And in and through the cross, and in and through His victory over death, He forgives us. And our sins that hold us, and our sins that seem so shameful, He will actually use to make us stronger and better for having gone through it. That's amazing. Ben, you can come on up. I've seen this time and time again as we have come alongside of people in their hardest moments. And a question I like to ask is, where is God in this? Where is God? And if they can see that in their hardest place, God is with them and hasn't left them and says he's going to... Be faithful to complete the good work he started in them. That even that moment is one he will redeem and make us better for having gone through it. Heaven will be sweeter because of the stupid stuff we've done. I promise you. A good friend of mine plays guitar up here, Scott Lunsford. And uh, Scott, a few years ago, got himself into a drug addiction. And... uh, it had him good, like we've talked about what sin does to us. And so Scott, with the help of some really good friends, decided to move into the rescue mission in downtown Salt Lake City for 10 months, the New Life Freedom course down there, and lived down there in the rescue mission for 10 months, apart from his family. And through that time there, he experienced the grace of God, the truth of the gospel. In deep ways, he had believed in Jesus as a child, but he had wandered a ways away. And through his 10 months at the rescue mission, which he wouldn't choose, or none of us would choose to end up in that place, but we all end up in those places from time to time in different ways, he got well. And today, you know what Scott does? He goes down to the rescue mission and leads worship down there, helping those people get out of that place because he had been there. That's redemption. That's what God talks. Even our darkest, hardest moment, God takes it and makes us better because we've gone through it. It's the message of the gospel. As I read these books of the prophets and read about the sins that the Israelites were committing and reflect on my own life, I've been around long enough now that I've committed a lot of sins. I've had more years to commit them than some of you, maybe most of you. So I've got a longer list than many of you. It can be discouraging, really discouraging. And so I have to preach that gospel to myself. That in and through Christ, I am forgiven. In and through Christ, my worst sins are washed away and I'm not guilty. My shame is cleansed. And my worst sins in my darkest places today, God is using to make me more effective as a pastor because I went through that. That is redemption. That's the grace of God. It's the message of Micah. And all of us have a testimony who know Jesus that he takes those places, those hard places, and redeems them, heals them, and uses us in and through them. That's what the gospel does. And this morning we get to hear 
one such testimony. We had two in the first service and one now, and I'm going to have Josh come on up and, and Taylor, wherever you're at, Taylor, come on up. And one more person who has experienced the grace of God who's going to share her testimony. And um, We're just so thankful for what God is doing in the lives of people here at Risen Life. When I saw the first kid get baptized, I was inspired by how much he knew and loved Christ. Then I started thinking, since God has accepted me, I want to show everyone else what he's done in my life. Ever since then, I've been very excited for this day to come. <laughs> <laughs> 